Hey there, welcome to Actual Ag. I'm your host, Samantha Bennett, and this podcast is dedicated to answering your questions about agriculture. Not only are those questions answered by me, a graduate student studying these topics in school, but also by specialists that work directly with these topics. So if you want to know if purchasing organic is the way to go, if animal rights are actually important to farmers, or if GMOs are actually bad for you, welcome, you've come to the right place. Hello, hello! Today's episode is part two of our two-part series covering food insecurity in the United States. My guests today are Mr. Roger Thurow, who is a Pulitzer Prize finalist author and former Wall Street Journal journalist, and Dr. Kate Thornton, Director of Global Education in the College of Human Sciences here at Auburn University, as well as the Director of Research and Academic Initiatives for the Hunger Solutions Institute. If you haven't yet, I highly recommend listening to part one of this series first, followed by this episode. But with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into part two of this conversation on food insecurity in the United States. You know, I think we as people that are involved in agriculture, this is something that is constantly on our mind because it's kind of at the forefront of our thoughts of what we do. The end product is to feed people like that's that's the whole goal of what we do, what our research is, that sort of thing. So whenever we're in class, we often bring up that by 2050, the world's global population is expected to reach 9.2 billion. I think today we currently sit at around 7.6. So that's a huge amount of growth. And with that being said, there's there's a need and there's an importance behind a lot of the research going on agriculturally. So, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like production formats and systems, I think that there's there's a lot of value that's being added to our research that's being done with that in mind so that we are able to feed our population. But there's also a lot of work being done with like food waste mm-hmm. situations because that's a huge other right. issue that we could go yeah. on and on about, I'm sure. But yeah, I've got a whole... Yes. Yeah, and, whole and, other and low hanging fruit. That. I mean, we can end that. Uh huh. You know, it's again, not that, that, hard. that we have the audacity in this country to basically waste or throw away like thirty percent of, of of food or whatever the number is. And, that and we I have this bounty and this waste the at the same time. That we're not talking about like not cleaning your plate. We're not talking yeah. about the clean plate cup here. We are talking about straight up, either through you know post harvest loss or through the market. Like sometimes, especially during COVID, like. I mean, you know, there were dairy producers who were set up to, you know, send their milk to schools. And so they had a particular manufacturing and supply chain to get the milk from the cow into the little milk cartons. Mm -hmm. And COVID shut down that process. And you can't overnight change and and put your milk into gallon jugs or put your milk into a cheese factory. There's like you know, all sorts of certifications and processes and all the things. And, and I think there was just this like lack of understanding of how the market actually worked. You know, people didn't understand, well, why are they throwing all this milk away if people need it? And it's like, because legally they can't, and and like, logistically they can't get it anywhere else. Right. Yeah. It's it's a fragile system. And they have to milk the cows. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the cows don't stop producing milk. So they're being milked every day or a couple times a day. And then it's like, so what do we do with that, right? And so it was the spilling of the milk. It was plowing under crops, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the potatoes, the onions, the carrots, because it's harvest time. They're coming in. They got another crop in the field. What do we do with that? Where, where was So to come up with this sort of flexibility of agriculture, of our food system, to kind of adjust uh, and and adapt to all of this. But I think what you were saying, so the, 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 this increasing population, mm-hmm. right? And 
it's not only it, it's that, but then it's the increasing prosperity mm-hmm. of the population. And, and, and hooray for that. Yes, there, there still is deep, extreme poverty in this world. And, and during COVID, that, that expands uh, and, and accelerates. But there has, over the last number of decades, been this historic, historic rise of people in the middle class from extreme poverty mm-hmm. into, into you know, better conditions. That then increases demand for food, for better, 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 better nourishment mm-hmm. of, of food, uh, uh, more nutritious food. That then puts this tremendous strain on the global food chain. Right. Yeah. So it's the population, but it's 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 the changing diets. It's the increasing prosperity of that population demanding more mm-hmm. different, better types of food. That's the the, the, the big assignment then for the, the whole agriculture sector for for all of humanity. And then how do we do that? Uh, that is, uh, you know, this whole notion of planetary health. I think that that how do we again? How do we nourish? ourselves and nourish the planet while protecting and preserving the planet because the very acts of growing food and nourishing us and feeding us takes a toll on the planet and we've seen that over the over the decades and so how do we put all that together so that's a great a great task and a great challenge uh, for everybody involved in in, in agriculture and sciences uh, and for everybody because we're all consumers right. uh, of food and that every living organism organism on this planet from the tiny microorganisms in the soils that are so important mm-hmm. to food growing to feeding us to us as kind of the 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 the, the consumers of, of this food we're all connected on the global food chain and so again this whole notion of you know that we all need to succeed mm-hmm. and be healthy for everyone right uh, to be able to do that so that that is so critical you know and again we can't we can't ignore or neglect certain parts of the of the egg of the food chain or of agriculture because we've, we've we've done that we've seen the consequences of like ignoring smallholder farmers mm-hmm. uh and that was kind of the second book that i did on the last hunger season is that there's hundreds of millions of smallholder farmers around the world say in africa and in many african countries these small farmers that are working on maybe an acre two mm-hmm. acres sometimes even less than an acre to feed their families and and and, and their communities they produced the majority of food in, in, in certain regions of Africa. Right. And that they had been so woefully neglected and were so far behind farmers, their yields so far behind farmers everywhere else in the world, even mm-hmm. in other, uh, you know, uh, uh, poor places in the world, uh, poor precincts of the world. It's like, well, how did that happen? And we can't go forward anymore doing that. So that's this whole notion of, you know, agriculture, farmers everywhere, create the conditions for them to be as, as, as successful uh, as possible. Mm-hmm. And we learn so much from them and, and, and kind of the indigenous foods that they have in the indigenous communities that, 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 uh, particularly on the nutrition front, these things are all so valuable and our food system has just emerged that we, we are so focused. So whatever percentage of food that we eat, 80% or something comes from like five or seven different food, uh, uh crops and a couple of, of, uh, of livestock types. That's it. In, yeah, in, yeah. in comparison to all the food and, and the various crops and, and fruits and vegetables and, and, and grains and cereals that are out there, we've basically narrowed kind of what we consume, the majority of it, down to down to this kind of narrow few. Mm-hmm. But that's it's what's like, exciting to me, though. Like I, one of the companies that Kirshner Fellows invested in was called Cooley Cooley, or is called Cooley Cooley, and they uh, work with 
moringa. I don't know if you know that plant. It's a tree. Okay. Um, but it's basically the most, its leaves are some of the most nutritious plants in the world in terms of micronutrients. But it, it literally grows like a weed yeah. in most countries. Like I have one in my backyard here in Alabama. Amazing. <laughs> um, and the leaves, I mean, you can put them in a salad. Um, Cooley Cooley puts them in bars and in all kinds of shakes and all kinds of stuff. But the the deal is it's like, it's, it's basically a weed that is like crazy nutritious. Um, and, and so it's like, we're not, we don't have to be restricted to those, those small foods. But I think also there's this right now we can produce enough food to feed the planet. We've known that for a while. And I think there's this fear of, okay, what are we going to do when this exponential growth happens? But I think it's my colleague, Steve Dauphin would, would, be mad at me if I didn't say this, but you know, his, his argument is always like, we need to understand compounding interest. Mm. So it's like, we don't have to go from a to Z. It's like, well, when you think about between now and 2050, I want to say it's like 3% growth a year mm-hmm. in our food production, which is manageable. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if we grow 3% every year, then by 2050, when we're at 9 billion people, our food production will be at the place it needs to be. And so it doesn't have to be this like Armageddon death to us all. There's not going to be enough food, but we do have to plan for it. Right. And and, and I think there's some great innovations. I think that's, what's exciting to me about the, the fellowship I work with is, you know, we train these fellows to basically scour the globe and find companies that, that maybe don't have access to capital or, or are under-resourced places and like, let's, let's invest in those. And like, we, we invest in this company in Mexico called Siembro and they're focused on the microbiomes of biomes of the soil, but they're able to help a specific farmer with his specific biome and like increase the product. And, and over time have shown, like, if you inoculate with these microbes that we've, you know, they'll like take samples, they'll figure out what's healthy and unhealthy mm-hmm. and then vastly multi it's basically like a probiotic supplement but for the for the dirt yeah agronomy Um, is a crazy subject like i don't have a knowledge base on that but i have friends in the department that are other grad students that do that work with like forages or other things that supplement you know animal agriculture and it's it's crazy some of the things when they get to talking i'm like whoa what (laughs) i mean no as kate said i mean the possibilities and 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 samantha you know the the possibilities and 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 the uh uh, the opportunities and mm-hmm. potential is fascinating and limitless on this, and let's 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 deploy this and and right. kind of you know open the aperture and take our, our blinkers off that we're focused on just these aspects and these you know certain crops and these certain livestock and you know there's so much out there that's available so for us and, and 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 let's deploy all of that and a lot of it is then harmonious with uh, with the planet mm-hmm. and and the environment because. You know, it's a lot there's... of naturally occurring crops. I mean, yeah. like even the sweet potato, for example, like everybody eats, or at least in the South, we know about sweet potatoes, <laughs> but the leaves of the sweet potato are some of the most nu- nutritious and underused crop, like in the world, basically. And it's like, they're so, I mean, you just literally throw it on the ground and it grows yeah. here, at least here. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, how can we actually like you know, when we talk about food loss, you wouldn't even think about like, oh, the leaves of the sweet potato, but that's a food source. Right. Um, And when we think about nutrition and holistic, going back to the very beginning, when I said, okay, food is this, 
it's like, yeah, the sweet potato itself, like it does have, um, you know, vitamins and minerals in it. It does have carbohydrates in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you're in the South, it also has sugar and, and butter and marshmallows. (laughs) Um, but then you look at the leaves of the sweet potato, which taste like salad. You just eat them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that could complete, you know, that micronutrient deficiency. And it's like, we don't even like think about that. Right. And so there, I, I think just the, you look at computers and where we've come. I mean, my kids like to call me a boomer, even though I'm not. Um, I am. Roger is. You can't see my gray hair. But, but, you know, they're like, mom, you didn't have the internet when you were little. And I was like, no, we did not have the internet when I was little. Uh, And they just like, can't fathom it. And you think like how far we've gone in my 40 years just with technology and it's like this we can do this mm-hmm. we can i mean that's the thing about yeah. hunger that's like infuriating and inspiring all at the same time it's like this is literally the most solvable problem of humanity right right get food to people mm-hmm. right and so so david beckman who's uh we both know very personal well. hero and he was the, the head of Bread for the World for a long time. He's a minister. And he often says, yeah, we need, we need to create both the public and the political will to do this. And then he goes so far, and it really makes you sit up, particularly when he's wearing his, his uh, he's in his uh, ministerial, in his reverend uh, robes, uh, and where he says, we got to create the give a damn. So uh, when kind of Lutheran minister stands up and starts saying, <laughs> phrases like that. We got to create the give a damn to end this right. and to do something about this. We've seen all these lines during COVID. So what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Right? How does hunger abide and persist in this most wealthiest, most abundant, most agriculturally rich, best research, best technology, arguably best soils mm-hmm. in the world? How does food insecurity persist here? Right. right. Where's the give a damn? Where's the, the public will, the political will to say, we need to do something about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 un-American, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. At least what we consider ourselves as 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 you know one of our great uh, virtues. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, that's why that, I'm. That is what we really need. I'm thrilled we're talking about this today because I think it's something you know, like we said, it just looks different here. So we don't really, if we're not talking about it, like then it just goes not unnoticed, but maybe not as on the top of the radar as people should have it in their mindset and their day-to-day thinking. So, I mean, it's something that we, like I said, as agriculturalists, we think about a lot of the time, even with in animal sciences, we, we've learned how to take these things that are, you know, not usable to us as humans, things like cotton seed holes or stuff like that. It's not, we can't get anything out of it, but we can use our upcycler cattle that will consume these things and then turn it into, you know, very nutritious, nutrient dense cuts of, you know, meat that we can then benefit from later on. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the research that's going on is incredible and it's exciting and ready for it to be implemented so we can get <laughs> to this, you know what I mean? So yeah. It's real. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting, but it's also scary at the same time. And 
Um, I think the urbanization of our world has, you know, contributed a lot to this, you know, disconnectedness from agriculture. Like you said, some people having to travel five to six miles just to even get to an apple. Oh, and I'm not even talking about urban hunger. Yeah. We didn't even, we haven't even scratched the surface on that. Yeah. Like to get to a grocery store in some cities, you like literally have to drive Mm -hmm. 30 minutes, not walk. Like you can't walk. Right. Well, also, I mean. So we'll be, you know, maybe we have a cart that'll take our groceries from the store to our car, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine if you're in an you're you're in an urban setting and you maybe are taking a couple of buses, right? And then walking from the bus stop to where you are, carrying carrying your amounts. heavy bags, yeah. right? You know that that in itself is kind of a detriment then to like know, why would well, you buy a banana in that <laughs> setting yeah or it would or, be squished yeah and... or kind of every anything heavy so if there's you know some kind of you know light fluffy chips or something yeah. it's like, uh, why would you why wouldn't you, you buy carry. why would you buy milk which you know a whole gallon of milk but it's right. one of our most complete food sources really why would you right. buy that and opposed to like you know something smaller and more easily carryable so yeah i mean that's a yeah. great point yeah well, I am thrilled with what all we've covered today, and I'm very excited for listeners to tune into this. But as loose, or listeners are listening to this and they're kind of thinking, well, this is insane. I had no idea about this. What can I personally do to change this? Like what, you know, we talked about those great donations that people can make. What is something that listeners tuning in can do to make a difference or to become more knowledgeable on this so that they can make a difference? Well, they can listen to Kate. <laughs> they can take her classes, go online, see what Kate has said about these things. This is one of my favorite questions and why I'm so excited to like be at a university and uh, be in classrooms and and you know talking particularly to, to, to your generation mm-hmm. and you, your cohorts is that this notion, this, this imperative that we have, this great challenge of us to finally end hunger and malnutrition, wherever it may be, whether it's next door to us or, or, or Ethiopia, as we started this conversation mm-hmm. talking about early on, this is one of the great challenges that we can do something about, that everybody can contribute to this. So if we think of COVID, all through COVID, we're praying for someone to come up with a, a cure, to develop a vaccine, somebody in a lab coat, right? People who are really smart and scientists who studied all their lives for this. Ending hunger, we're not depending on some, we don't need to depend on waiting for somebody in a lab coat to do it or some, some great scientific mind, although they're here at the university and working on these things as you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. But every single one of us, no matter what we're doing, no matter what our interest is, no matter what our skill set is, we can all do something about this. Right. If, if this is a passion of ours, no matter what your skill set is, again, and, and your interest or what you're able to do, we can all contribute to this. Whether it be you know charitable donations, whether it's raising the clamor and using your voice to say whatever politician happens to come into your 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 sphere of influence, hey, what are you doing about this? Mm-hmm. Right? Are we tolerating this? Right? Isn't this embarrassing? Yeah. That we have it here. You're a government representative, right? Aren't you embarrassed that this is in your constituency or your district or whatever? What are you doing about it? So using that as a, as obviously with voting, you know, why isn't this a litmus test for politicians? Uh, or, 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 or kind of anybody in, our, in, in, in an election like, what are you doing about this, right? This shouldn't happen. Uh, so even if it's that or if it's on any kind of professional or academic or studying sense, so does for students, no matter what you're studying, uh, if you think about it, there is something that you can do about this, no matter what you're studying, mm-hmm. it applies to this, right? And so 
that's what we all can do. So everybody has a role to play in this. It's not an exclusive, you know, quest for something that, you know, uh, only certain people, you know, would have the ability to take part in this. Everybody can do something and individuals matter. Mm -hmm. So a, an individual person can do great things uh, in this. So, Kate. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I kind of go back to it. We have a, a philanthropy and nonprofit studies major here, and we also have um, a, a women's philanthropy board and a center that, that are a part of our college. And they always talk about philanthropy as time, talent, and treasures. Um, and so I think, you know, if you have the time, I think one of the most impactful things you can do is just volunteer, mm -hmm. meet some people that are hungry, get to know them, get to know their stories and their families. And, you know, I think that's, that's a good way, um, to get started. I mean, and if you don't know how to do that, like just Google food bank, food pantry, um, or, you know, you can even call the school guidance counselors like at the local elementary, middle or high school and say, like, is there a family that needs something? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not many people know to do that. Um, and if you do that, just be prepared because the needs are great. Mm -hmm. um, and the guidance counselors know the kids in the schools and they know the needs. Um, and, and so you can, you know, connect and do something. You know, I think another thing is, you know, your talents, like if you're an engineer, you know, is there something you can be involved in? Um, you know, we, we do have like things like engineers without borders or, and doctors without borders and things like that. But there's also just the idea of, you know, using your mind um, and your talents. Like if you're an artist, tell the stories through your art. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're a poet, a poet. Yeah. Tell the stories through your writing. If you're a podcaster, tell the stories through <laughs> your podcast. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, work. I, I think actively try to see mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of walls that our society puts up that prevent us from actually seeing the realities right. of, of people. You know, I think the reason we had to do three studies about college student hunger here at Auburn is because the first two people just didn't believe it was true and they wanted to find flaws in the data. And so I was like, okay, then tell me how you want me to do it because mm -hmm. I know that this exists and I will just, you know, I'll follow whatever methodology you will agree with. And so we finally found a way to convince people that needed to be convinced that, yeah, 27% of Auburn undergraduates are food insecure and here's what it looks like. Right. And then we did a study where we interviewed them. And then we, you know, we did a, a thing where we had meetings where the students would come and, and they would go to the grocery store and go to food outlets on campus. And it's like, okay, here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich we bought from the grocery store. It cost, you know, 23 cents for me to go to Kroger and make one sandwich. Mm -hmm. They At the time that we started this, the campus was selling peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with artisanal bread for $7. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I understand. It's on campus. It's a limited market, limited storage. There's going to be an up, up price. But... $7 for PB&J. And 
And as a part of those meetings, Auburn and, and Campus Dining committed to to have every single food outlet on campus have essentially a value meal. Mm-hmm. So for five bucks, a student can get a, a sandwich, a side, and a drink, at, 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 as I'm told, at, at every food venue on campus. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and we also worked with, with Campus Dining, and they're great. I, I mean, the team there is, is amazing. But when we started this work, Auburn was at a purely retail food model. Mm-hmm. So we only had retail stores for students to use their dining carts at. We didn't have any cafeteria style mm-hmm. where you get a swipe and you go and you eat. Right. Everything was one-offs um, or a la carte, I guess is the right word. And now we have cafeterias where it makes a, a huge difference. can swipe and then eat until they're full. Mm-hmm. And then be done, you know, and it's, it's like that, you know, we even have on our, our club pages, students can search for free food events mm-hmm. on campus, um, which is amazing. You know, it's yep. like, and, and in our interviews of students, like some of the students actually use that feature to feed themselves. Like wow. they knew like it, it, you know, one of the students said, you know, I don't go to the free movie cause I'm really excited about the movie. It's like, I go mm. because there's pizza there. And if I don't go, I don't eat dinner. Mm. Um, and, and there's free food events. Like you literally could eat for free at almost every meal, mm-hmm. especially um, at the beginning of the semester with those kickoff events. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean like Auburn Christian fellowship, ACF just on gay street, they do free dinner either once or twice a week. And mm-hmm. then like a dollar lunch, I think. Wow. It's been a minute. So don't quote me on these. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, but students are able to like seek out those resources and, and they are using them. And, and I think it's, it's opening your eyes to understand, like, not everybody that's coming here is coming for whatever I'm putting on. They're mm-hmm. coming because there's food. Right. And, and just sitting with people, getting to know them. And I think once you start to understand that hunger doesn't look like what I think it looks like, it looks like somebody who looks like me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even when I started doing this work, one of the things I realized was, oh, man, when I was a grad student, I was food insecure. Mm. I was one of those ones who was going to those free food events because it was the end of the month. And, and you know, I had paid my rent. I paid my utilities. I'm taking care of the stuff I needed to take care of. But, you know, it was either the credit card or the free food event. Um, and, 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 you know, and so I think under you know it was like oh wait this is what I, I lived through that mm-hmm. you know and I'm not trying to compare my experience to to people who have it much worse off than I do but you know it's it's recognizing like oh there were times in my life you know once you actually understand what hunger is it's like oh mm-hmm. I was hungry then you know I, we have a lot of meetings with people and we'll describe what hunger is. And they're like, well, you know, I mean, when I was in this stage of my life, I just had to do the dollar menu. And it's like, yeah, because you were food insecure. You were hungry. And the dollar meal was you being food insecure and decreasing the quality of your food. Mm-hmm. You could not buy the fruits and vegetables and the meats and the dairy that you needed. You had to eat the dollar menu at McDonald's. And, and it's like, just because that was your experience, that doesn't mean that that's like a normal college experience. Like, eating ramen every night is terrible for your health. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, for sure. And, and, and that's the reality of a lot of students. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just because that's maybe what you did when you were in school 
that's hunger. Mm -hmm. You were hungry. And so I think it's this understanding of like, Hey, oh, oh wait, maybe, maybe that was a part of my story and, or understanding, like when you see these things, this is somebody telling you without telling you that they're hungry. I mean, that's like a new meme. Like tell me without telling me that yeah. you X, Y, or Z. It's like, when you see somebody buying three cases of ramen at the grocery store and a gallon of milk, mm -hmm. that's a hungry person. When you see someone, you know, buying these types of foods or, or, you know, always showing up at whatever free food event, like maybe ask them like, Hey, can I buy you dinner? Yeah. Can, can I talk about, can I talk with you? There are resources you can connect people with. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and some people are, are, no, don't want to receive resources and I totally get that but it, it's understanding just the humanity behind all of this and mm -hmm. and 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 I think once you see that you can't unsee it like I see it everywhere now mm -hmm. whereas I used to think oh this is just a really wealthy community and there's all these fancy houses and you know I, I just couldn't see it right um especially I think as a student on campus we when you live in a dorm and it's kind of like the standardized level of like housing that you're in, everybody seems to be, you know, you think you're on the same level as everybody else. And I think I had this realization with my students. That I helped teach the intro lab for our animal sciences class. And we were a part of the SEC food drive. We helped raise a lot of food for our food drive here on campus. And a lot of the students didn't understand that it was a physical food drive for, you know, our campus pantry. And they're like, you mean like, the Lee County food bank. And I was like, no, like our campus's food bank. And they were like, for who? And I was like, uh, for you guys, <laughs> like, like this is for students and for, you know, staff and other people in the community. Like this is for everyone to have access to. And the amount of like faces that were just like, I didn't even know this existed. Mm. It was, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's why we're doing it. But the, the amount of students that brought in food, I was, I was so proud of them. And it was like, it was a fun thing to do. But like you said, you know, just that awareness of like, could be my friend sitting next to me in class that has been living on ramen for the last week and hasn't even themselves thought about it so yeah yeah and 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 you know when you look at like the meal plans mm -hmm. they last about half of the semester and that was another change was was increasing the types of meal plans you can get because you know like if you're on um some federal aid and and scholarships and stuff like that and you're coming from you maybe you're a first-gen student or maybe you're coming from a poor family that mm -hmm. can't support you like if your food plan can be included in your student aid, we needed to have a tier that could make sure that you could eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the entire semester. And we didn't have that when we started this work. Mm -mm. Basically, the highest meal plan would get you through like, it would get you maybe maybe five lunches and three dinners a week, and it would get you through like maybe mid-October. Mm -hmm. And then there's still another month and a half. You know, so when you look at a student who's poor – or, or does it come from a, a family that can help them? And that's the highest they could get. Like, you know, you know, so it is, it's, it's like looking at the system. It's like, who would have thought increasing the amount someone can buy in their meal plan would help food insecurity. You would think like, Oh, they're being charged more. It's like, well, if you choose to they be can't <laughs> shop at a grocery store with mm -hmm. their, their, you know, financial aid, but they can buy a meal plan with their financial aid, mm -hmm. you know, then that's like, oh, it's a game changer. Sense. Yeah. 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 And for some students, like that's, 
that's what they need to, you know, and, and we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion and equity and all of those things. And, you know, I even, I've serviced our, our diversity officer for the college. And, and one of the things that that's, I always bring up is like, you know, if we want to bring diversity and we want to include, and we want to create equity, we've also got to build up and reinforce these systems. So students can have housing, they can have food, you know, it's like, we got to look at Maslow's hierarchy. Like mm-hmm. if they're not getting food and shelter, nobody's going to self-actualize up here at the top. Yeah. With their you know, studies and higher degree ivory tower, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's like getting the basics down, you know, which, which I've, I've been really excited. Like the teams that we work with in student affairs and campus dining and, you know, all throughout campus um, have, it's just been really encouraging that when, we started to uncover and started to discover this about our own campus that the campus responded Mm -hmm. and it's not perfect. You know, we just got new data in. um, And so I don't know how much it's changed from when we first started to now. Um, And I'm also not sure with COVID how things impacted um, the students. But what I will say is once the problem was acknowledged, then it's like, then we could fix it. Mm-hmm. And then, and that excites people. Like people want to, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to get back. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, I've found like, okay, here's the data, here's the information. And here are just a few tools go forth and prosper. And people are running with it on campus. And it's been so encouraging um, to be in a place where, there's so much activity around actually solving the problem, both nationally and internationally, but just even here in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think to me, that's, I leave with a lot of encouragement. Um, so to get involved, I think just call somebody, you can call me, you can email me. <laughs> Perfect. You can yeah. Post it on the podcast. Yeah. I'll have everybody's information and all, everything that we've talked about today in our show notes. So if people are interested, I'll make sure to have, your contact information down as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot about what's going on in Auburn, Alabama, but, um, but I, we have a pretty broad network, at least nationally and somewhat internationally. So we can connect people. Amazing. um, With our own communities. So. Yep. We know people everywhere. (laughs) We need to know, we need to know, we need to know more, but, and everybody's got to get involved as we've been talking about. So. Perfect. Well, I think we've, we've talked about a lot of resources, but do you guys have any other resources such as like texts or bodies of research, um, anything like that that you suggest people Rogers check out? Books. Yeah. <laughs> they can read my three books. Uh, <laughs> and so you can post them. Amazing. So the general theme of all of them is uh, looking at different aspects of hunger and malnutrition in the 21st century. My journalistic mantra is to outrage and inspire. Mm-hmm. So kind of be prepared for that <laughs> and i call them the real hunger games trilogy uh so they're not that other hunger games <laughs> trilogy that's about a dystopian world uh and battle for resources you know in, in the dystopian world this is our real world it's a real problem it is our great challenge and our great imperative finally ending hunger and malnutrition wherever it may be mm-hmm. so that's what those three uh books are about and then we've got a whole bunch of other uh kind of multimedia slideshows and films and other stuff uh, that we've done that we're all compiling into a uh, high school uh, curriculum. Oh, amazing. Presently involved in. And so that'll be, I mean, yeah. So it might be for that, for, for targeting and design for high school teachers. 
uh, and students, but it'll be for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, basically. Uh, wow. That anybody wants to know more about, it. and it's all based on storytelling. Mm -hmm. And so I figure you all read enough textbooks uh, and things, <laughs> and you know important uh, text that you need to know for what you're studying. But this is all narrative, story-based uh, yeah. learning. So. And then awesome. there's also um, there's a, I think is it 1968 that the CBS documentary came out. Yeah, so Hunger in America was a CBS documentary in 1968. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. So you should watch that and then watch, what is the the film? Um, a Place, Place at the Table. table. Okay. Right. So you should watch the YouTube documentary, Hunger in America, 1968, CBS. Just Google it. It'll come up. And then watch the documentary, A Place at the Table. Which is from several years ago. Okay. Yeah. And it's... I mean, the nothing's changed right. mm. from 1968 to 2000. Right. I think it came out in 2017, 16. Something like that, yeah. Um, so a couple of years ago. So in that basically 50-year yeah. period, uh, we see that, yeah, no. And, and it, it, things haven't changed, and uh, the need is still there, if not even more so uh, in that time. Mm -hmm. And the rel sort of relative nature of it. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll definitely have everything linked for you guys to look into, but just thank you guys both again for all the wisdom and insight you provided today. I know listeners are going to have a world opened up to them that maybe they didn't know about before. So I'm really thrilled to have gotten to speak yeah. with you guys. And I just want to thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I would like to add, like if somebody is hungry, especially in the state of Alabama, one of the resources the Hunger Solutions Institute provides is um, a county food guide. Um, and you can find it if you just Google Alabama County Food Guide or any child hunger in Alabama um, food guide or something like that. And we've linked to every county, every food resource for that county. So Amazing. food banks, food pantries, um, soup kitchens, grocery stores, grocery stores, any access um, that they could find. Schools. Yeah, school feeding, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, so if you are hungry or food insecure, that's a great resource for this state. Um, but then there's also 211 numbers you can call or again, email us and we will try to connect you within your own community. I think if you just have the ability to get to the internet, libraries have free internet, mm -hmm. um, you can look up food pantries or food, um, food distribution sites around you um, to get access to, to food for yourself um, and your family. So I, I know we talked about getting involved, you know, from people who, who are food secure, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think it is important to talk to those who maybe aren't um, and, and talk about some of the resources available. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much again. And thank you listeners for tuning in. That'll conclude this episode of Actual Ag. concludes this episode of Actual Ag. Once again, I'm your host, Samantha Bennett, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Before you leave, though, make sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast on whatever listening platform you're listening on. And make sure to follow us on Instagram as well, at actual underscore ag, to stay up to date on what topics we're going to be discussing and to send me your questions on agriculture. Talk to you guys soon. Bye, y'all.